think we've got everything figured out and uh, every year about Christmas time we pastors start you know thinking about what am I what am I going to preach what am I going to say you know that they hadn't heard before you know sermons on Christmas kind of like sermons on love it's hard to say anything that hasn't already been said and you know the church members sometimes they've They've heard so many sermons about Christmas that, you, you know, they know pretty well what you're going to say even before you get to it. But, you know, that's not really a bad thing. The precious truths associated with Christmas ought to be uh, repeated often and clearly. And, and I understand that many times we allow the great doctrines of the Bible to become mere cliches that are meaningless. We no, well, we remember them, you know, and we might even appreciate it. But, but a lot, a lot of times we just don't really get the message. You know, there's some people that love Christmas, but they really have no concern for Christ. And that's what it was with my dad back before he was saved. He he, that was his favorite day of the year. Christmas. It was his favorite holiday, Christmas. But he had no concern about Christ. He never went to church. He never talked about the Lord or anything. It was the tradition of it that he loved, not the truth of it. He loved it, I think, the tradition because as a little boy he had such a tough time. His daddy died when he was in the eighth grade and he had to leave home and go out and be farmed out to uh, to work for his board and keep and just had a really rough childhood and you know come Christmas time you know it was pretty well nothing if you got anything it was a pair of overalls or something like that and so he really come to love Christmas and it was a big deal for him you know the kids opened our you know our present sis and I and it wasn't until Sunday morning we followed that strict tradition there was none of this stuff well I get to open one you know on Christmas Eve no we knew ahead of time it was going to be Christmas morning he loved Christmas and uh, I, I mean up until the time that he died but he had a greater appreciation for it whenever it become meaningful after he had trusted Christ as his Savior. Now, I've said all of that to say this. I want to make sure that you get the message. I want you to understand. I don't want anybody to leave here without really understanding what Christmas is all about. Because sometimes, you know, we, we lose the meaning of it and all of the tinsel and the shopping and the, you know, the rat race that we're involved in to the point that we allow our focus to get on things rather than on the Savior. And I want you to realize it is a celebration of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that ought to inspire us to wonder and to awe. It ought to remind us of God's love. It ought to remind us of God's great wisdom. It ought to remind us of God's great power, you see. And, and the bottom line is, it should inspire a spirit of hope for those who feel hopeless. And, and God forbid, you know, if, if let, let's assume that everybody here is saved and going to heaven, everybody except one, wouldn't it be a horrible thing for us to come down to the benediction and close the service and go our way 
and for one lonely lost soul to walk out that door just one step, one breath away from a devil's hell. It would be awful. You know, the rest of us might really feel good and think, boy, this is a great service. I love the special music. I love the choir singing. I, I even kind of like the, that sermon that I'd heard before, you know. But it was all, all was a great service, you know. Well, for us, but not so great for that one lost soul that leaves here with that hopeless feeling. And that's what I want to avoid. Somebody gave me a Christmas card some years ago, and uh, they had a little note inscribed. It said, I wish it was a hallmark. And I knew exactly what they meant because I knew the motto for the hallmark card company, which when you care enough to send the very best. Now, that card meant just as much to me as if it had been a hallmark or anything some of the most precious cards I ever received are these little hand scribble cards that the little kids have made, and and th- those are precious. Doesn't have to be a hallmark, but I want you to understand: Christmas is all about God giving His very best. And there's one verse that just encapsulates, I think, everything that I'm trying to say here in Second Corinthians nine, verse number fifteen. The Apostle Paul says, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. And I want to speak to you for the next few minutes about God's greatest gift. Notice that Paul says that it is unspeakable. You know, sometimes we get in the heart of stretching things. Uh, You know, we don't really intend to, but we use words like, Man, that's great, or that's awesome, or I love this, or I love that. Do you really, you know? I just love fried bologna. Do you really? Or use the same word to describe fried bologna that you described your wife with, you know. But we just do that. Somebody says, you know, I got to go to the ball game, and you say, man, that's great. Uh, Not really, not anything really great about it, but you know, we don't intend to do it, but some way or another, we, we just get in the habit of stretching the truth. But let me tell you, it is impossible to exaggerate God's gift. Because it is beyond expression, and, 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 and that's exactly what Paul is saying. It is unspeakable. Look in Ephesians. Just turn over a couple of pages probably in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. And Paul says unto me, who am less than the least of all of the saints. That's a great attitude to have about yourself. We generally think too much of ourselves. But Paul said, I'm less than the least of all of the saints. And he says, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles, now listen, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now look at verse 18. 
And this, this is a prayer for those folks at Ephesus that they may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all of the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think According to the power that worketh in us unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now I read those verses for a reason, and I don't know if you noticed or not, but Paul uses one superlative after another in trying to describe the Lord and his love for us. And you can pile those superlatives up until they're higher than the mountains. But it's never enough. You can find the best of the silver tongue orators in the world and let them try to describe the greatness of Christ, but it's never enough. If we could even beckon the angels to come down and to expound upon the excellencies of the Lord Jesus Christ, it would never be enough. We fail before we even begin. And that's why Paul said of God's gift, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, that it is unspeakable. That it is something that is inexpressible. We can't comprehend it. We can't explain it. It is above. It is beyond anything our mind can imagine or our tongue can explain. So it is an unspeakable gift. But there's more to be said for it than that. God's gift is also unequaled. You know, for something to be undescribable is one thing, but to be unequal is another thing. Something can be beyond our ability to describe and be absolutely worthless or something of very little value. But when we speak about God's gift being unequal, we're saying it is at the very top of the list. That there is nothing that can be compared to this. It is above and beyond anything else. You know, the gifts we receive on earth are not always of equal value. You know, it can range from anything to a little cheap plastic item to, to pure gold and, and real diamonds and things like that. But regardless of the monetary value of the gifts, there is no gift that can compare to the gift of God, which was His own Son. It's of greater value than anything and everything. God gave His Son. God gave His perfect Son. God gave His precious Son. God gave His promised Son, His only Son. He gave His Son who is altogether lovely, the fairest of 10,000, the bright of the morning star. And the fact is, when you've said all of that, you still haven't really got to the very crooks of the matter, which is that God gave Himself. I gave serious thought to preaching from my favorite verses related to Christmas. And in those top five, most certainly would be John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, and verse 14. And there, there is no depiction of the manger whatsoever, no mention of Mary, no mention of Joseph, no shepherds, no angels, nothing like that. It's all about the Son of God who is the Word of God who was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the whole point of it is that Jesus is God, and, and that, that God's gift to us 
was himself. And sometimes we lose sight of that. And that's why I say that God's gift to us is not only unspeakable, but it is something that is unequal. There's nothing to compare to that. But then, there's more to be said than that. God's gift is also unending. Romans 6.23, Paul said, The gift of God... Now, there are many gifts from God... But there's only one real gift of God, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, which results in what? Eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That is eternal security. You know, sometimes we get a gift and it's, it just doesn't last. I'll never forget whenever I was a boy growing up, my uncle had been in the service and been to Okinawa. And one year for Christmas, I think it's the only time he ever bought me a gift, actually, but he, he, he got me a little pocket knife and uh, wasn't really very long, but it had bone handles, or at least it appeared to be bone handles. And it was, I don't know whether it was made in China or Okinawa or where, but it had 411 different things on it. I mean, there was a knife and a screwdriver and this and that. That was back in the days before you didn't find stuff like this. It's about the only one I'd ever seen. And now I had one I could hold in my hand and put in my pocket. But you know what? It wasn't, it wasn't long until the, till the, uh, the metal, you know, began to rust and it wasn't long until the, screwdriver part of it began to bend it was really just a piece of junk that that's what it amounted to it was it wasn't made like you know some of our modern day knives that are handmade and really a fine quality it wasn't that at all you know sometimes in spite of the good intentions of people we'll get a gift and we know when we get it, this isn't going to last. Now, whenever I was young, you know, you didn't want anything made in Japan because it was junk. And I mean, literally, it was junk. You didn't want anything made in Japan, unless it was China, maybe. But uh, uh, I'm talking about fine China now. But nowadays, we, you know, you, whenever you, if you're at a gun show and you're looking at knives and the first thing you do it looks if it's made in China. And if it's made in China, you don't want that because it's an inferior quality. But when we talk about God's gift, we need to understand it is unequal and it is eternal. It's not something that wears out in a few years. It's not something that's going to rust out. It's not something that's going to decay. He said, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. In other words, God is giving you Himself. He's giving you something that you cannot lose. He's giving you something that you'll have for the rest of eternity. Not just the rest of your life, but it is something that is absolutely unending eternal life. I don't know why anybody would want to be a part of a church that does not believe in the security of the believer. And yet there are so many people that will criticize us Baptists for emphasizing the importance of eternal security. Look, that's what the Bible teaches. Amen? And it becomes an even more glorious subject when you realize that God's gift is not only unequal, but God's gift is unearned. Notice we're talking about what? A gift, right? We're not talking about a wage, something you earn. We're not talking about a reward, 
you know, we tell, we tell children, uh, you know, that their gifts from Santa are based on, uh, on their goodness. You better watch out. You better not cry. <laughs> better not pout. I've got to be careful with that because I tend to say it the wrong way. Uh, and, but uh, a lot of times we, tr- we teach our kids you've got to be good or Santa's not going to get you anything. And sometimes, you know, as harmless as that seems, sometimes I think it kind of carries over into the world of religion and they begin to reason in the same way. You know, if Santa won't give me a good gift, you know, unless I'm good, you know, God's not going to receive me unless I do good works, unless my behavior measures up. And the fact of the matter is there is none good, no not one. You see, God's gift is something that is unearned. It's something we cannot attain. It's something that has to be accepted. It can't be achieved. It has to be received. And you know what he said in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's what? It's a gift of God, you see. It's not of works. It's not of works. Because if it's works, what? Well, we could boast about it, you see. And look, if you had to earn your salvation, it would no longer be a gift. Am I right? And, you know, I've often illustrated by saying to the kiddos, you know, look, I've got a $10 bill here, and if you'll come and get it, it's my gift to you. And so whenever they get up, all of a sudden I say, now when you get up here, now you've got to do 50 push-ups before I give it to you. Well, it's no longer a gift. And when it comes to eternal life provided through Jesus Christ, it's something that God gives us that is totally unearned, but it's also something that is undeserved. It's undeserved. I believe one of the most serious problems that we have in America, I believe that one of the main reasons, probably the main reason, that there is so much insecurity So many people that are just living on the ragged edge because they're so frustrated with the pain and the problems and the difficulties of life. And it's the fact that they were taught in public school some years ago and reinforced by some foolish preachers that we ought to esteem ourselves. We ought to love ourselves. We're worth it. They even wrote books about it. I'm okay. You're okay. The fact of the matter is, none of us are worth it. None of us deserve anything. If we got what we deserve, we'd all spend eternity in a lake of fire. And whenever we realize that we don't deserve anything, we'll be satisfied with whatever we get, right? Because we, we, don't, we don't deserve it. That's the way it is with eternal life. It's something that God gives It's not something that we earn, not something that we win. And so it is undeserved, but it's also something that is useful. How many of you ever got a gift for Christmas that was, well, it was nice, you know, that they gave it to you, but it was really useless? It just, now you don't have to raise your hand, because if you do, when you get home, somebody's going to ask you, what was it? You know, so it might be better if you don't raise your hand. But you know what I'm talking about. Just about everybody at some point in time has got a gift that is absolutely useless to them. What am I going to do with this? 
you know, sometimes you think about, well, I'll pass it on as a gift, you know. (laughs) You better be careful about that because you might forget who you gave it to and who you got it from. But whenever we talk about the gift that God gives us, understand that it meets our deepest needs. It's not like it's some addition to our life. It's not something that, you know, that we enjoy, but then, you know, we put it in a drawer somewhere and we forget about it until we need it again and we get it out and we enjoy it some more. We're not talking about something that makes no contribution to our overall welfare. We're talking about the very greatest need in our life is the gift that God offers us. And let me tell you, regardless of what you have, you are poor without Christ. You can be in, you know, in perfectly good health. You can have uh, all of the gold in Fort Knox. You can have a thousand friends on your Facebook page. You can have everything going for you. But without Christ, you are poor. On the other hand, if you have Christ, regardless of what you don't have, you're rich. It's kind of like the old song says that, you know, that kept saying sometimes, I'm a poor rich man. I know that I'm poor, but I got a lot more than, you know, any rich man that I know. I've got a home in the sky that money can't buy. Oh, I'm a poor rich man. That describes every child of God. And that's why as a child of God, as a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ, we never have any reason to complain. The one thing you need more than anything else is spiritual life. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ offers you this morning. Spiritual life. Until you receive Him, the most important thing in life is missing. I, I, I am so amazed at God's goodness, at, at what He's given Bev and I. And, and there's several times I've answered the question, you know, what do you want for your birthday or what do you want for Christmas? And, and in recent years, I've answered it the same way. I, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. I... How how can you be so blessed as to be in a state like that? I don't understand it except to say that it's all of God's grace. I, I, I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. It's just the grace of God that has been so good to put me in a position that I can stand here this morning and say, I don't need anything. I, I really don't. I, I mean, I don't even have my cane this morning. Now, I'd kind of like to get rid of this pinched nerve in my neck, but I, I, that's okay. I can live with that. That's it's not that big of a deal, you know. And to think that it's all undeserved, but you can have all of this other stuff and still, still be poor. When I talk about God's gift being useless, you know, generally we think of being useful, rather. We generally think about our sins forgiven, right? And we ought to think about that. That's a big deal. Because everything's going to hinge on that. Our sins are forgiven and we have a home in heaven. And sometimes we forget about the effect that God's gift has upon our manner of life. You, you know, I we think about different songs and 
in the fact that, you know, I'm not the man I'm used to be. Kathy Jean sings that song sometimes. I'm not the man that I used to be. And I haven't been since the day that I got saved. I'm not, I'm way far from perfect. But I'm not the man that I used to be. And if you're a child of God, you're not the person you used to be. You are different. There has been a new you. And I'm telling you, this gift that God is offering you this morning will literally, totally change, transform your life. You'll be entirely different than you've ever been before. Now, there's one more wonderful, wonderful thing, and I'm so glad this is a part of it. And that's the fact that God's gift is universal. God so loved what? The world. Amen? That's like the little kids saying, red, yellow, black, and white, they're precious in His sight. God, God loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Hebrews 2.9 says, Christ tasted death for every man. Every, think about it. Every person. When Christ died on the cross, He died for every single person on this earth. And there is no one who is so vile, no one who is beyond the reach of God's goodness. God has made this gift available to every single person in regards of who you are, regardless of what you've done. God accepts all of those who accept His Son. Ephesians 1.6 says we are made accepted in the Beloved. It's a, it's a horrible thing to be rejected, isn't it? I wrote an article the other day... I don't know if I sent it out or what I did with it, but I was talking about you know little kid standing there with his ball cap in his hand. You know, whenever kids used to get together and choose up teams, you know, and then inevitably there'll be one kid that <laughs> neither captain wants, and there he stands with his cap in his hand, and it's down to the last choice, and one of the teams has to take take him and he knows it he knows that's the way they feel or some kid that doesn't make the cut whenever it comes to the ball team or some kid that you know that's in love you know we call it puppy love or whatever but the way they feel in their heart they're in love and all of a sudden she or he rejects them or it might literally be the fact that uh, that a man's wife or a woman's husband says, look, I've had it, I'm packing my bags, I'm leaving, I'm through with this marriage, or whatever it is. You know, it could be a thousand and one different things, but that feeling of being rejected is a horrible, terrible feeling. But let me tell you, you need never fear that when it comes to your relationship with God. If the whole world turns against you, I want you to understand God is for you. Amen? And he, if, you will, if you will receive His Son, He'll receive you. I've only got one major question, and that is this. Why would you refuse a gift like that? A gift that is unspeakable. A gift that is unequal. Think about it. A gift that is the most useful 
eternally useful gift that you could ever receive. Why, why would you say no and walk away? Well, I can think of only maybe a, two or three reasons. One might be that you think it's just too good to be true, that, that there surely couldn't be any such thing as heaven and hell and a gift of salvation. Or maybe you think, well, yeah, that's probably true, but it's, you know, but I'm, and there's some people that have, by their own admission said, you know, I just, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. I, I'm just so bad that even God won't forgive me. And so they don't believe what the Bible says about whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. They, that, you know, they don't they think that might be good for somebody else, but it's not good for me. And so they just dismiss it. It might be that they just don't believe it like, like God could lie. You know, the Bible says in hope of eternal life, which the God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And there are some folks, you know, that would reject uh, the offer of salvation just based on the fact that I don't think it could be true. It might be there's some that think, you know, well, it's just not something I need. Christianity might be good for everybody else, but it's not something I need. You, you reason with others, I've got my own set of beliefs. The only time anybody all through high school ever witnessed to me was a boy named Gary Wilson who became a pastor later on. Gary and I wasn't even friends. He just showed up at my house one day, drove up in a car, parked across the street, knocked on the door, I answered, and he said, could, could I talk with you a little bit? And I said, well, sure. I wonder why in the world does he want to talk to me? I, I didn't understand it. So let's go out to the car, and we'll sit out there and talk. I thought, well, okay. I, man, if somebody had a car in high school, you know, that was a big deal. And I, I thought maybe he was going to take me for a ride or something or buy me a beer. I didn't, I didn't know. We got out in the car and he started talking about religious stuff, being saved. I, I didn't know what to say. I stuttered around there a little while, you know. Are you saved? And he's, are you a Christian? And I said, uh, oh yeah, I, I'm a Christian. Because I'd heard mom say one time, we're Christians. So I figured that's what we are. You know. And, uh, and I, I really thought that meant the same thing as Catholic. So I didn't know, and I hum hawing around. Now finally, he had me hemmed in, and finally, I just said, "Look, I, I've got my own beliefs about that kind of stuff," and got out of there as quick as I could. The fact of the matter is, I didn't really have any beliefs. I figured there must be a God, all the sun and the moon and stars and stuff like that. Had to be somebody make all of that stuff. There must be a God. I I believe that, but I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't look at that point in my life. I didn't see any need of this religious stuff for me. I might be good for him, but not for me. And you might be here this morning thinking to yourself, well, preacher, you know, I appreciate you and these other Christians being concerned about me, and, you know, I respect what you believe about it and what have you. Look, folks, it's not a matter of what we believe about it. It's, what, it's a matter of what this Bible says about it. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, you know, I'm, 
I'm not even really sure I, I believe the Bible. Why don't you come up here then at the end of the service and let Brother Kenneth or I take the Bible and, and we'll show you why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. Because we've got more proof, more evidence that the Bible is the Word of God than you do that your grandpa ever lived. We all believe in George Washington, right? We never met him. We depend upon what the history books tell us. And I want to tell you that there's nothing in this world that can be substantiated any better than the fact that the Bible is the Word of God and the Bible says ye must be born again. And the Bible assures you that if you'll receive Christ, if you'll accept God's gift, that you can become a child of God right here, right now, this morning. This will be the best Christmas that you've ever had in all of your life. It'll be a blessing unequal to anything you've ever enjoyed. But only if you receive God's gift. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Please, please, please don't just dismiss it and ignore it and walk away from it. The offer is for you to receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that will change everything about your life while you're here on this earth. Would you receive that gift this morning? Let's all stand together and we're going to sing and extend to you this invitation. And, and Christians, I want you to be praying that those that are here that are not saved, that they will be before they leave today. If there are questions in your mind regarding your salvation, we want to encourage you to come. And if God's speaking to you about something entirely different, you've already been saved maybe, and God's dealing with your heart about something you need to do in your life, would you come? It might be that you want to come and just get on your knees and pray for your unsaved loved ones. I don't know what it is, but I know this will be the best time you'll ever have to do something about it. While we sing, you come. Amazing grace.